Open them up to chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, this morning, we're presented with what I believe to be a very timely message in the life of this church. A message that is rich in gospel truth and full of instruction for us in gospel living. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from our captivity to sin, haven't we? We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Yet we know that despite that reality, the battle of sin continues, does it not? Though I have been delivered from captivity, I sometimes feel as if the weight of sin is ever more upon me. We remain in a constant battle. A battle not with flesh and blood. But brothers and sisters, we need to realize we are in a battle against the angelic rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the ongoing, ever-exhausting battle with temptation and sin. Are you exhausted? I am. Are you tired? I am. The onslaughts never seem to cease, do they? Well, ever since the beginning, it's been Satan's mission to oppose God's rule and destroy God's people. He came to our first parents and representatives of the human race, Adam and Eve. And he came to them tempting them. How did he tempt them? Well, he began by casting doubt upon God's word and God's love for them. And that's the same way he tempts us today. In their case, the temptation in the garden, Satan prevailed. Whereby sin entered the human race and the curse spread to all creation. We now are infected with sin. Rebellion is woven in the fabric of our DNA. So we're rebels with a cause. However, God's grace abounded in giving hope to Adam and Eve and hope to the human race that there would come a day when a child would be born and he would crush that serpent's head. There will come a day when the battle will be won. He will prevail against the serpent and his destructive schemes. However, as the Bible story unfolds, God's corporate son, Israel, comes on the stage. 
Israel was to be a light to the nations, showing the world what it looks like to be in a right relationship with their Creator and with one another. However, like Adam, this son, namely Israel, also failed to be obedient to the Lord. Failed the test when faced with temptation. After having been redeemed and rescued from slavery in Egypt, Israel wandered from the Lord when they journeyed through the wilderness. And like Adam and Eve, Israel was tested, if you will. Tested to see if they would truly trust the Lord to meet their needs. And yet quickly, they began to grumble against the Lord. And that grumbling led to them putting the Lord to the test and questioning His goodness and His power. And ultimately, it led to their idolatry, making and fashioning themselves an idol. And frankly, that is uh, Satan's plan. That's Satan's goal against God's people, to cause God's people to grumble against Him, to question Him, and then to ultimately forsake Him. That's how it begins. And where I want to challenge us, because I do see Satan working in the midst of this congregation. Tempting. And causing us to doubt God's word and God's love. And ultimately, he wants to destroy the work of God here. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. This is how he tempted God's son, Israel, and he prevailed in keeping Israel from fulfilling their mission to be a light of salvation to the world. This year, we're pushing us to start moving out, to be intentional with gospel conversations. We're, 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 we're building more robust uh, a missions emphasis. We're, we're We're having another class in training us in evangelism. We're we're aiming to to send out a new work amongst us. And I can assure you, Satan will not sit idle because he wants to shut the light out. And he's going to come in any way he can to begin to make these sons and daughters of God fail. Fail. And so we cannot be like the disciples when Jesus says, keep watch and pray and we fall asleep because the tempter is near. He's near. We must stay alert. And so now we come to our passage. And Jesus' public ministry is about to begin. And at his baptism, if you remember, the Father declared, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But then we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That should bring a little bit of fear and trepidation. We've seen this story before when the serpent has come to tempt God's Son. When God's Son has been in the wilderness, we have seen what is going to happen with this Son of God as the serpent now comes to test Him. This never seems to turn out right, does it? Yet we're not reading the story of Adam, and we're no longer reading the story of Israel of old. We're reading the gospel, which is the good news. The good news of a new Adam who has arrived. The good news of a new Israel who is going to be tested and found faithful and true. This son of God, though tempted in the wilderness, is going to prevail. And he will prevail as he is tempted again in another garden. The garden of Gethsemane. And he will pray, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. And he will fulfill the mission of redemption. And getting his people back. And brothers and sisters, this Son of God, this Jesus, He will be the one to light or shine the light of the gospel of God's grace to the world and do what none of Adam's helpless race could do. That's what we're about to read here today. That's the significance of this text, which is going to give us hope as we continue the battle and onslaught against sin. And so as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, Pastor Nathan read, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that is, satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those being tempted. And as I look at the landscape of this church, we need his help. We need to call upon, we need to look upon the one who has been tempted in every way in which we are, yet without sin. The evil one is at work, brothers and sisters, seeking to destroy. Seeking to destroy this church, your families, and individuals. How's he doing it? Well, he's the great deceiver, the father of lies, the tempter, our adversary. And he seeks to lure us away from loving God to loving the world and the things of the world. What are the things of the world? The scripture defines it this way. It's the desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life and possessions. James says it this way. Each person, each of you, each of us, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What do you want, brothers and sisters? What's your deepest longing and desire? Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. This enticement is what I see occurring in many of your lives. An enticement for more. For what you do not have yet think you deserve. It could be a longing for rest and peace, good things. In your life, and your home. Maybe that you long for that relationship you do not have. And so you lie and you cheat and you steal to get it. You long for that position, that that recognition, that respect you deserve. And it burns you up when you don't get it. Some of you want ministry of some sort. And it's not turning out the way you thought it was. No one's giving you the respect you think you deserve or the opportunity or the break. Your expectations aren't being met. And in all these things, Satan can begin to tempt you. And you can begin to grumble. And you begin to question. And you begin to take matters into your own hands. And you forsake the Lord. All in the name of what I want. And it fleshes itself out. Not only that we grumble and quarrel with God but we begin to grumble and quarrel with one another. We begin to question. Question everything that's going on because we no longer believe. And it's exactly what Satan wants to do to to splinter and divide and conquer. So where do we turn? Where do we turn when we are in the midst of temptation? When we feel the grumbles, when we feel the testing coming, when we are enticed to forsake, where do we turn? We turn to the one who was tempted and yet prevailed. Brothers and sisters, take heart. Your Lord was tempted. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Our Lord was tempted in every way in which you are. And yet without sin. That didn't mean that he got off easy. That meant he was tempted to the fullest extent. We cave. We cave long before he. He never did. And so the tempter came ever stronger. Or much more easy to blow over. And so where I want to encourage you, and some of you, you come to me and you say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I must not be. I'm not ready. I can't. God must not love me because I still struggle. And I want you to see your Savior was tempted. 
You will not escape temptation in this life. A servant is not greater than his master. If they assailed the Son of God, how much more will they assail us? And so often I see us, we're weary, I get it. Our souls are are, are aching, our hearts are heavy. And we see that as a sign that we must not be loved. That's exactly the lie that that Satan wants you to believe. And when we just grumble, we question at that point, it just leads, it begins to bolster, it begins to grow, and, and it brings forth havoc. And so for this reason, we must look to Jesus and resist the devil. What does that mean? What it means to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to withstand the evil day and stand firm against all his schemes and that you will continue to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that will be your prayer to your last dying breath. Our passage directs us in this way in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and presents to us Jesus, who is the tested and true Son of God. That's what we're seeing here. He's being tested. The Father has spoken. We're going to see it lived out that He truly is the Son of God. And as the true and tested Son of God, He has gained victory over Satan and sin. And it is his triumph, brothers and sisters, which serves as the basis and the pattern for our own triumph over Satan and sin. That's what I want you to see. Jesus' triumph over Satan and sin is the basis that we will triumph, and it is the pattern by which we must triumph. Okay? And so we look to Jesus and resist the, the devil. To that end, I want us to see that by fixing our eyes upon Jesus, we resist the devil and his temptations to self-gratification, to self-preservation, and to self-exaltation. That's where he goes after us. Self-gratification, self-preservation, self-exaltation. Let's consider the first of these. Resist self-gratification. We read that Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That should recall Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. There's, there's a sense in which he is, he's going to redo what we have undone. He's going to fix it. And he's walking in our footsteps. That's what you should be seeing here. And as a result, he was hungry. He was famished. Your Savior got hungry. We typically think, well, he's God. But we forget he's fully man, truly man. And your Savior got hungry. He got tired. His body ached. His emotions plagued him. His mind hurt. And here he's famished. He's weak. And it's when we're physically, emotionally, and mentally spent that the evil one comes to strike. It's when he comes. It's not when you're strong that the temptation comes, does it? That's why we must make preparations when we're strong for those times when we're weak. But it's when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're emotionally drained, you got nothing. The evil one's been waiting. And that's what's happened here. And Satan begins by tempting Jesus with what he desires most. And that's how he works with us. When you're weak, what do you desire most? Well, let me offer it to you. And in Jesus' case, well, this is food. And so Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, well... Turn these stones to bread. Satisfy that hunger. Just like he did with Eve, Satan poses a question with the intent to cast doubt on God's word and God's love. That's what he's doing. And you say, where do we see that? 
Well, we left in chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaking from heaven and saying, this is my beloved Son. And then we come to Satan saying, if you're really the Son of God, you see how he's questioning. It's not an outright rebellion. And that's where some of you get deceived. Oh, it's not, it doesn't say it's error. Well, that, that's not how he does it. He poses questions. He uses slick talk, great books to get you to begin to question. It's his his M.O. It's his mission. And he comes to Jesus, and in his humanity, says, You're the Son of God? Then why are you hungry? Truly, if God loved you, He wouldn't have you out here in the middle of nowhere with no food. You see how that's going? He begins to entice where you're weak. Have you ever been tempted that way? Begun to feel weakness and you're just like, I don't deserve this. If God really loved me, or if I were really respected, and you begin to then say all the things that I am or I should be or my perspective, I don't deserve to be in the spot that I'm in. I deserve better. I deserve to have my desires, my needs met. No one else has been there. You sometimes say you're hangry, right? You're hungry. Hey, you're just hangry. You need a Snickers. You know, eat that. because you're emotionally drained. You start saying, you just go off the rails. And so Satan comes to Jesus and says, all right, if you're the son of God, which he knows he is, he says, use your power and take some leadership. And why don't you just turn these stones to bread? There's no harm in that. Do you see the temptation here? Is turning stones to bread sinful? Last I checked, that wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not turn stones to bread. He doesn't tempt him with something that's outright sinful. And that's usually how he tempts you. You're like, well, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. So I can do it. And, that's, and he's like, easy. Gotcha. Now what Satan really is tempting Jesus to do is to stop Trusting the Father to meet his needs. Gratify yourself. Do what pleases you. There's nothing wrong with that. And what he's done, he's gotten you one step closer to not depending on the Father because his goal is to get you to forsake him. He wants Jesus to abandon the Father's will for his life, a will that involves suffering on behalf of his people. And he's saying to him, You're the son of God. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to follow the Father's will. You need to follow your will. You don't want to suffer, do you? And it begins with the questions and just keeps wearing on you until you give. But thank God that in Jesus' case, he did not. This is the will of God for Jesus, to be made like his brothers in every respect. To be tempted in every way in which we are so that he may redeem us from everything in which we are fallen. Do you get that? If Jesus had taken the easy road out, how could he sympathize when you are in your deepest weakness and need? He couldn't. He couldn't be your high priest. He couldn't empathize and feel where you're being tempted. He couldn't redeem you from where you need to be redeemed. He was not thinking of himself. He's thinking of you. And yet the tempter doesn't want that. He wants you to think just of yourself. That's where we always go awry. Satan is seeking to tempt Jesus to make use of his divine prerogatives. To abandon the mission of the suffering servant who will take upon the sin of his people. But Jesus, being filled with the Spirit. We see here in verse 1, he was led by the Spirit. Luke says, and filled by the Spirit. He takes Paul's language. What's filling of the Spirit? Well, we see it played out here. Being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is showing that Jesus is dependent upon the Word of the Father. 
Paul says it this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's a parallel turn to being full of the Spirit. And he combats the devil's lie with the truth of Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see the principle here? Our physical needs are not the priority. Doesn't mean they don't matter. They're just not number one. And he wants you to think they are. That's what he wants you to think. And because they're number one, everything else takes a back seat. But Jesus says, no, that's not the number one priority. And the number one priority is that I live by the word of my Father. That's the only place I truly find life. Everything else follows after. And so what we see here is that Jesus, as the faithful Son of God and our representative, he himself depends on God's word beyond his own physical needs. And so if Jesus had to fight the temptations of the devil by the reliance on God's word, why do we think we could withstand any other way? I venture to say, most if not all of us do not go without a, a, a day without food. Do we? And yet, how many of us will not only go days, but weeks, months, maybe for some of you years before you've cracked open the Word of God? And you wonder why your relationship with the Lord seems absent. Because you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not being full of the Spirit. And you're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because you have no discernment. You're not alert You've been lulled, by, enticed by your desires, and you live like them. You live according to your gut, according to your appetite. Many of you are starving because you won't eat. You've developed an appetite for lesser things, and so God's word is not honey to your lips. We tell our kids, you can't eat a bag of candy for dinner. Now, could they? Yeah, they could. But they'll starve. And many of you are living off of Sour Patch Kids. And you wonder why you cannot withstand the schemes of the evil one. Satan has succeeded in convincing you there are more important things. You need to be desired. You don't need to sit and have time with the Lord. What's that going to do for you? You need to eat. You need to have that desire met. You can't do that by reading your Bible. What good is that? And you believe it. What's well, my prayer for, for those of you who do not have an appetite for God's Word? That each Sunday as we exposit, we explain, we open the word of God to you, that you would develop a palate for the warm morsels of the bread of life, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good, and that you would come to the point to say, I can't live apart from the word. I, I live by every word that proceeds from my Father's mouth. It's in this way that we look to Jesus and resist the temptation of self-gratification. But looking to Jesus is also how we resist the temptation for self-preservation. With Jesus, Satan wasn't successful with his first attempt. So he tries another route, and that's a good reminder for us. You survive one route, just know he's coming back later. He's going to try again. And this will be the reoccurring pattern for us till the day we die. And here with Jesus, he teleports them, it appears, to the holy city in the high place of the temple. The holy city is Jerusalem. And perhaps he takes him here because the city, and even more specifically the temple, represented the dwelling place of God. 
In other words, Satan brings Jesus to the point where heaven and earth meet, the pinnacle of the temple. It's all, and you can see the, the, the temptation here is putting the Lord to your test. It's like, I'm going to bring you to the, to, to the Father's doorstep. This is where heaven and earth meet. The center of the world. This is where God's dwelling place is. Not just his holy city, but the temple and the highest point. And again, he questions God's word by tempting Jesus to manifest his sonship by forcing God's hand to miraculously show his love and protection. Do you see that? This time, Satan's like, all right, you're going to use the Bible, so it will, so will I. Which again is another reminder, just because it's sold at the Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's Christian. And Satan decides to quote Specifically from Psalm 91, 11 through 12. And, and the psalm, that's God's word. But it's how he applies it here. This psalm speaks of God's promise to protect his people who find refuge in him. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm that we should take heart. And so what he's doing here is he's saying, if God has promised to, to protect his people, well, certainly he'll protect the Son of God. You see? Certainly you, Jesus, right? And so jump. Why don't you show? Why don't you sh show that you're the true Son of God? God says He will send His angels. They'll come swarming down. And they will not let your foot strike a stone. Then you'll know if you're the Son of God, right? It's not good enough just to listen to what God says. How often we go there, don't we? Oh, I know the Bible says, but... I need to see it. And Satan tempts you in that way. And some of you, you will not follow because you do not claim to see. But Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead and they all saw it and did them nothing. They wanted to kill him. And you think you'll be any different. And so that's the reason you don't pour yourself into God's word because you say, well, I won't see. But the Bible says you see by hearing. You're hearing by the word of God. So Satan comes and he tempts him with the word. He says, jump, unless you don't really believe who you are. But to do this would be just like Israel who put God to the test in the wilderness. What does putting God to the test mean? It's not a quiz. Rather, it's seeking to manipulate the hand of God to our bidding. We've done this. We do this. Instead of trusting God and His means of accomplishing His purpose, we take matters into our own hands. We do that. We're tempted to do that. I'm tired of waiting on you, Lord. Or, uh, that's not a good enough confirmation. I know your Bible says this, but I need more. And so... I'm going to make sure. If you're really on my team, I'm going to do this, and you better stop me if you don't want me to. You ever done that? Have you ever, when wronged, maybe you're, you're, you've rightly been wronged, rather than leaving it to the vengeance of God or, or, or trusting the means by which God has laid out for us to bring reconciliation between brothers, say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to, I'm going to retaliate. That's putting God to the test. Or maybe some of you, and I'm speaking, I see this particularly because I've been there. Some of you are in seminary and think you're God's gift to preaching. You're God's gift to, to ministry. And you can't wait to go. And you're impatient. And you're not doing the things before you to be faithful, to be equipped to do the work. And so you're, you're pursuing things on your timetable, not his. Because you're not patient. Maybe you, you're, you see a situation you need to occur and so you're going to sin to make it happen. I've heard of teenagers, not here, so don't, don't go here. We want to get married. We can make that happen. Let's get pregnant. 
will force everybody's hand. That's foolishness, by the way. But you might say, well, that's silly teenagers. But no, we do the same thing. We think evil thoughts. And we'll try to play our cards right and keep ourselves three moves removed. And hope that 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 lie, that slander will work the hand of God and force him to do what, because he's got to deal with sin. And if I put a little sin out here, I'll get the end result I want. I've already kind of mentioned this, but failing to do what God has put before you so that you can do the thing you hope God will entrust you with. There's a principle, be faithful in little things and you'll be entrusted with much. All of us are tempted to say, no, no, I want to be entrusted with much now. And when I'm not, well, I grumble. I complain. I put God to the test. So if you think carefully... That was my way of just trying to probe our minds, our hearts. You know you've been tempted in these ways. You've been tempted to manipulate him. Somehow if I can move God according to my timetable. I want you to see Jesus was tempted this way as well. Yet without sin so that he could redeem us when we're tempted and sin in that way. Finally, looking to Jesus, we resist the devil's temptation for self-exaltation. With the third temptation, Satan reveals his true end game. He stops messing around. He gets to the point. This time he teleports Jesus to a high mountain. By the way, mountains in the Bible represent kingdoms. Okay? They're associated with kings and their glory, mountains. So so Satan takes him to a high mountain and seems to present Jesus, I, I, I would venture to say supernaturally. I think all this is, is a supernatural vision that is really occurring, but he's taking him these places and he's laying before him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I was thinking, uh, watch the Super Bowl, and you saw Tom Brady come after, if you watch this, those of you who don't want sports, sorry. Um, you, you come out and, and, and the mobs of people. Even before the game was over, the crowd was chanting his name. Brady, Brady, Brady. Some of you are like, no, I'm an introvert. I don't want that. Some of you are like, man, that'd be nice. Everybody loves me like that guy. I want to be like that. I want to be on America's Got Talent. I want to, I want to be there. I want, I want the world to see me in all my glory. Well, that's what Satan tempts Jesus with. And he says to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Is that too hard? Jesus, I know you're on a kingly mission. You're on a mission to become the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're going to be the highest of all kingdoms. Well, You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go the Father's path. I can give you this now if you do it my way. And my way is much easier. Is that not the temptation we face every day? Is it not the lie that the evil one spreads throughout the world? I can give you your greatest desire. The Father cannot. Think about that. Where are you longing? What is it that you want most right now? And I'm not talking necessarily sinful desires, just good things that I'm sure when you lay down at night, maybe you weep at night over, or you would say, this is my greatest longing, the thing that consumes your mind, the thing that you're pursuing. Are you not tempted to believe that the Father will not truly provide you what you need and what his greatest good for you is? Have you ever been tempted that way? I remember when I was in college, there was a girl I liked. It was before Sarah was around. And I was, I want that girl. She seems godly and awesome. And I remember 
struggling. Well, what if God doesn't want me to have her? What am I going to do? And I, I mean, I was a new believer. I was like 18. And that was like the worst thought I could ever have. How could that possibly be? By God's grace, he had something far greater, far better for me. Yeah, I recovered. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we've deviated from the notes today. <laughs> but the point being is, there's things you want, and you'll have a crisis. What if God doesn't want me to have that job? And now you're, you're, you don't even want to have that thought. You're, you're trying to play games with God. Like, I didn't think that, so I'm not like competing with you so that maybe I can keep pursuing this, but I'm not really seeking your will anymore. Young people, some of you are making big decisions in your life. Are you telling people what you're going to do, or are you seeking godly counsel? I would say that, you college students, those of you in ministry, have you ever asked anybody, do you think I'm called? Or have you just been presuming and you don't want to face that question? As humans created in God's image, we were made to worship. And worshiping God and living for his glory is the glory of humanity. That's God's, that's, that's worship, where I want you to see, is, is the means by which God will satisfy our deepest longings. Now, worship doesn't mean you have an endless church service and you listen to Chase uh, preach a sermon. No, worship is walking and being led by the Spirit as you enjoy God's creation and enjoying Him forever. What's the chief end of man? Enjoy God. To worship him and enjoy him forever. In other words, to be fully human and flourish is to serve God alone. And to abandon this purpose is what the Bible says is falling short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You have fallen short of God's glory for humanity. And to, be, and, and to do so is to become less than human. And to abandon that glory is to only bring heartache and destruction. It's to live like animals. That's the picture. And Jesus is the true and better Adam, knows what it means to be truly human here. And he doesn't take the bait and get trapped in Satan's snare. He again rests in the word of God. And he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's the only path to exaltation, brothers and sisters. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself, the Lord will exalt. Satan says, no, 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 that never works. The opening of these chapters of Matthew, well, concluding here, foreshadows truths that we're going to be encouraged with throughout the gospel. And here we're reminded that true glory and exaltation comes only by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Look in verse 11. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan or Jesus stayed true to the Father's will. And look what happened. The devil fled him, and Psalm 91 came true. The angels came and ministered to him. Seems to be like Israel, where manna from heaven came down. Or Elijah, as angels literally came into the cave and, and brought him food. He the tested son of God and has proven to be faithful. And God has proven to be faithful to the son. And while this will not be the final temptation, it is a reminder, brothers and sisters, that the Lord will preserve his own. He will preserve you. He will keep you. He will sustain you. And for Jesus, God will preserve him through every power and scheme of the evil one, including death. 
And if this is how God preserved Jesus to overcome Satan and sin, who are we to pursue victory in any other fashion? And so, brothers and sisters, the evil one is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He is and will continue to fight against us to destroy the work of God being done in your life and your family and in this church. But rest assured, the battle rages where crucial territory is sought to be taken. Let me put it this way. Satan's greatest efforts are going to be given to thwart where he feels he is threatened the most. And as I see the threatening, the temptation, and and some rough waters coming, anticipate that that's because we are a threat to him. And that's a good place to be. Because that means we're following in the footsteps of our Savior. And where I want to appeal to us is not to abandon ship. That we would not be like the disciples who come in panic to our Savior and say, in the midst of the storm, and we say, do you not care for us? We're all about to die. And then he would look at us and say, you of little faith. Brothers and sisters, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. He will soon do so. And so let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Pastor Chris, if you want to come and lead us in song. Church family, I want you to, as they're making their way up here, to begin meditating on this. We're about to sing, all I have is Christ. He is all we have. And he has prevailed where we could not, but he has blazed the trail for us, the portrayal to glory and victory over our great foe. Let's stand.
13, 20, 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said,